Welcome to The Progress of Redemption, a 12-part series on understanding Christ and the covenants. My name is Hunter Gately, and I'm a laborer here at the HeartCry Missionary Society. Most of my role with HeartCry is to oversee the missions work in Southern and Eastern Europe, but this series is going to be a little bit different. I would like to take you through the major covenants in the scriptures, starting with Adam and ending in the new covenant with Christ. This is not going to be overly theological. It's not going to be technical. My hope is that as we look at each covenant, we can make some observations, we can make some applications, and we can really draw out Christ in the Old Testament and Christ revealed to us in the New Testament. So I would invite you to go on this 12-part series with me as we look at Christ revealed in all the scriptures. So I mentioned a series on the covenants, and you might ask, what is a covenant? So we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But first, you can say, who is this study for? Who's the, who's the target audience? And so first, it's for any believer who um, loves God and wants to grow in their knowledge of the scriptures. So when we look at the Bible as a whole, it's so easy to see disconnected parts, to see pieces and portions and wonder, how does that fit together? And so when we have a theme like the covenants of the scripture, it really helps to tie all of it together. If you are a a Baptist watching this, so if you practice believer's baptism, that when somebody is converted, makes a profession of faith, and they're immersed in water, then you might look at the covenants and think, I'm not really sure what that means. But the covenants are actually the historic understanding for the difference between believer's baptism and others who practiced infant baptism. So it's a difference of how to understand the scriptures and how to understand the two halves of our Bible. You might have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge with the covenants. Maybe you're in a gospel preaching church that you've had a series walking through Reformed Baptist covenant theology. Maybe you're in a church that teaches differently than covenants as a big picture. And I think both of those are okay. So my aim in this series is not to you know, make a position for one series or the other. It's not to argue for this view or that view or this interpretation, but really it's just to walk through the scriptures and see what we see, you know, as clearly as we can. So you ask then, what is covenant theology? So covenant theology, like I've mentioned, is a method of interpretation. So it's, it's answering the question, how do we read and understand our Bible? How do we fit it all together? It's not so much of you know, a specific book and how to interpret it, and it's not even biblical theology of tracing a theme. It's the sort of bones to a structure that we can build upon. It's a big framework. It's a big picture, seeing the continuity from Genesis to Revelation. It's also an attempt, as we look at God's big unfolding plan of what he does throughout the scriptures, from Adam all the way to Christ and from Christ and beyond, It's a big picture frame to see how does all of it fit together. So we can ask questions, and we will, in future lessons of what has God done in the past? We can look at what is God doing now in the present, and what do we expect for the future? It's also to take the promises that we have in Scripture and to understand them most fully. So, you know, it's easy to to be reading, like in Joshua, for example, and to see a verse and you see a clear promise made to a person in the book of Joshua, and you think, wow, that promise can apply to me. But if you just pull that verse out, and we don't understand the context, we don't understand what's come before it, and what happened after it, 
if we don't understand the people involved in the stories, then we'll, we'll miss the promise. So the words of the promise apply, but there's so much depth that comes with it. There's so much uh, of, of a, a richness that comes when we understand exactly what's happening in, in God's unfolding plan laid out in the scriptures. So, you know, I, I remember thinking about this, this idea when I was, you know, young. I went to a, um, a Baptist church in my hometown, and they had a sort of summer Bible school that we all went to. And the theme verse was Joshua 1.9 about do not be scared, don't be um, afraid, be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that was the theme of the whole week. So every single day we had a different portion of the um, verse that I just mentioned in Joshua about, you know, be strong, don't be afraid, God is with you. And those are wonderful truths that can be so strengthening, so helpful, so encouraging to believers that God is with us and he is for us and he tells us to not be afraid because he's God. But when we just take that verse out and we don't have the things around it, then we miss the fullness of it. We, we miss the implications for, for Christ in that verse. So that's the big picture. Who is this study for? That's narrowing in on what exactly is covenant theology. What are we going to be talking about? And so now we have, what does covenant theology do? What's, what's the function of it? Why do I need to learn it? Why should I consider this study? And so really it looks at the big and small details of the progress of redemption. So if you were to just sit down and read through the book of Genesis... You know, there's all these um, stories. There's this, there's this big picture of what's going on. There's smaller side stories of individuals. And so covenant theology is sort of like a plane, you know, taking off and landing at certain points. So we're not going to go through every single chapter in Genesis. We'll go from chapter 2 and 3, for example. We'll jump to chapter 8 and 9 and then to 12. So we'll miss some, some key stories in Genesis for the book of Genesis but really we'll see the big picture and see how all of it is tied together. Um, it also answers questions like, how do the two halves of my Bible fit together? So if you read the Old Testament and you read the New Testament, I think naturally as believers in the 21st century, the New Testament is really clear for us that there's clear commands, there's clear instruction, there's clear encouragement that it's not hard to take a a verse out of the New Testament and apply it directly to our lives. But then when you go to the Old Testament, maybe you've heard a sermon at your church on Sunday and thought, wow, that, that took a lot of explanation for us to understand that passage. And there's a lot of strange names and there's long list of genealogies. I'm not really sure how all of that fits with what I read in the New Testament this morning. So covenant theology helps to, to see the continuity or the, the ways in which the two testaments are tied together. Covenant theology also answers the questions, what relevance does the Old Testament and the history of Israel have for Christians today? So there are clear and helpful and relevant applications. And when we view the covenants as God's united plan of the one God having one plan for redemption, then we'll see the value and the beauty of the Old Testament. We'll see our relationship to Abraham or to Moses or to David. We'll see all of that within covenant theology so that you know, if you start out in your Bible reading um, in Genesis chapter 1 and try to make your way through the, the first five books, you'll plow through Genesis and you're encouraged, you'll get to Exodus and you're doing well. You get into Leviticus and you think, what in the world am I reading? So covenant theology will help us to see the, the unfolding plan of God and to follow along with the first five books, especially as we go. 
it also will help us get through those, those lengthy genealogies. So we have so many instances in, in the first five books, but also other places in Scripture, even in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, of here were the generations leading up to Jesus of Adam and then his sons and so-and-so and his sons, and it goes on and on. And if we love our Bibles, we think, well, I should read this. But if you're like me, you don't always understand why exactly you should read this. So covenant theology and understanding the covenants will help us to see the significance of the covenants and the genealogies for the people for whom these books were written and for us today. So let's talk about some key assumptions of, of covenant theology. So all of us, whether we know it or not, we have key assumptions that we have when we read the scriptures. So when we open up our Bibles and we read, you know, there's certain things that all of us assume about what we're reading, whether or not we realize it. So I hope that if you're a Christian that you'll take this book and have the conviction that it's God's word. So whatever you read in here, you want to take it and try to apply it to your life. That you'll honor the scriptures, that you'll read it, that you'll grow in your knowledge of it. That when you're at a church on Sunday and you hear the word preached, you'll give attention to it because of the content of what's being preached. So that's one example of a, an assumption. So that's that the Bible is God's word. We also want to see that it's not disconnected pieces of, of just one book that somebody put together, but because there is one God that we know and that we love and that we serve, that one God has one united plan for all of time. So we'll see even before the foundations of the world, God began to work in such a way that Christ would come and that God would tell a people, I will be your God, you will be my people. So it's one united plan that God reveals in his word. The, the most helpful and practical question that we can ask when we read a passage of scripture, you know, it's easy to ask, okay, what are the commands that I see here? You can ask, what are the instructions or the, or the warnings of don't do this? But we have to back up all the way to asking. In every passage, in every study, including this one, you have to ask the question, who is God? And so if we start with that question of, as we look at each covenant, who is God? That will inform everything that we need to know about the covenant. It'll inform our view now of our salvation, our, our life in Christ, our life within the church, and everything in between. An important thing with that is it's easy for us to think of the Bible as an instruction manual. So we can say, okay, you know, I have this problem in my family or in my marriage with my children. Let me go to the scriptures and find the chapter and verse that will help me specifically. And it's a good thing to search the scriptures to, to find out what truth God has revealed. But covenant theology reminds us and it helps us to understand that the Bible is not first and foremost an instruction manual. The Bible is first and foremost a revelation from God of who God is. So when we read it, we read it as that revelation. We, we read it trying to find out who God is and what difference that makes for all of life. That, that theme of God's uh, self-revelation of our Christian life even being first and foremost about who is God and what has he decreed for us, what does he want us to do, that is the most unifying theme in all of, all of the scriptures. That's, that's the thing that unites us as Christians is our one true God. So, you know, there are some people who will take um, their church life, they'll take the scriptures, they'll take teaching, and they really have a moral emphasis. And so everything they say is about, you know, let's be better people, let's be upright citizens, let's do this, let's do that. And those are good things to do. We're, we're a moral people as people who love God. But there are other people who will take mercy ministry, for example, and say, 
all of our Christian life is meant to be living in the community and helping the poor and feeding the hungry. And those are great things to do, that Christians are called to do some of those things. So other people will say, okay, those two things aren't the real message. The real message is unity, that we have a one true God, and he's going to have one people who are united. So if there's any division or strife, then there's a problem. And God has called us as a united people that, you know, one day, Lord willing, we'll all be in heaven, we'll see Christ face to face, and there will be no more disunity, there will be no more disagreement. There will all be one united people of God rejoicing and glorifying our God. But as good as all those things are, I think the better thing, the best thing, is that for our Christian life, for our church work, for everything in the Christian life that that we live out, that we do, it's all founded in this revelation that we have of God. And God has revealed himself most fully in the face of Jesus Christ. So as we read in the coming lessons, as we read the covenants, as we talk about Christ, as we anticipate his coming, as we look back at his arrival, it's all about Christ. It's every corner, every verse, every chapter, every intention of men, every plan of God, all of it is tied together in one united purpose to show the world, to show God's people who Christ is. So let's talk about a covenant specifically. So there have been a long line of of godly men who have gone before me that nothing that I'll say in these lessons are original, nothing that I'll say is, is my own, you know, personal thoughts and knowledge that if anything good is said, it's because men before me have said it. So there's a certain um, Baptist confession that was published in the 1600s. Let me read their description of a covenant. I think it'll be helpful. So it says, The distance between God and creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator, yet they could never have attained the reward of life but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. So that's what theologians will call the creator-creature distinction in the first half of that statement, is that God is the creator and we are the creatures, and God has created us for a purpose that he clearly tells us. And so as the creation, the people that God has made, we owe obedience to God naturally because he is God and there is no other. And we all know, if you're familiar with the scriptures, that you know the fall has happened, that we were all born in Adam, we're born in sin. So instead of living in this perfect state with God as creator and creature, we're separated from God. That we are still his creation, we are still all made in his image, every one of us who are human, who are alive, but there's a, there's a gap that must be filled. And God could have left us to our sin, and we would have destroyed ourselves so quickly, as we'll see in Genesis. But God chose to, to come down from heaven, to condescend, to show grace and mercy to his fallen people, and to offer a series of covenants to us, a a way of interacting with us where he made a sure promise for us. So you ask, what exactly is a covenant? How do you define it? How do you explain it? So a covenant is simply a, a guaranteed contract with rules or sanctions. So when God says, as an example, he says, I will be your God, you will be my people. We can break it down simply. God says, I will do these things. I have these promises set before you, and I will accomplish them if you people will do these things. So you have really two ways. You have God and his commands, which is the promise of life that God gives, 
or you have disobeying God and his commands and the promise of death as a penalty for breaking the covenant. So covenants really, as expressed in the scriptures, are God's way of interacting with humanity. So whether or not you see, you know, like historic Baptist covenant theology, maybe you see more of dispensations of God's grace, the covenants are in here regardless. So we have to do something with them. We have to read them as God has revealed them in the scriptures. The good thing about God preserving his word through a long line of men who wrote the scriptures out as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, the good thing about knowing that this book is God's book is that we know that it's true, we know that it's sure, we know that it's trustworthy. So more than just having, you know, if we look back several generations, oh, well, my grandfather had a covenant with this God, and here's what he said, and I can't remember all the parts, but, you know, here's the gist of it. We have it recorded clearly in Scripture of God says in so many places, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you should do. The people break the covenant at every point, but God keeps his promises throughout the whole of Scripture. He redeems a people for himself. He reveals the person of his son. He draws people out of darkness into light, all through his agreements or his covenants he's made with people. So we'll see, just to give you an expectation for what's ahead, we'll see in some places there's a ceremony performed with the covenants. So it was common, it seems like, in ancient history that individuals would make a covenant between themselves. They would make a sure agreement with penalties for breaking the covenant. So instead of me breaking a covenant with one of my coworkers and saying, hey, I promise I'll bring you lunch tomorrow, and then me forgetting, a covenant, by definition, has to have a penalty and it has to have a reward. So we'll see these ceremonies to make the, the covenant uh, being instituted really significant and memorable, where an animal will be cut in half and you know, the two parties of the covenant will pass through those pieces of the animal. And for us, you know, in 21st century, that sounds like a really graphic picture. It would be shocking to see an animal cut in two and blood to be everywhere and guts spilling out and people to willingly walk through it. But it's significant for us to recognize that there's a lot going on in those instances that we're reading the scriptures. So as we go through these covenants, I have thought for a while about how we could go through them. So this is not going to be um, traditional, formal, Reformed Baptist covenant theology. There's a certain way of presenting that that people have in the past. This is not going to even be just, you know, let's read verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 of a chapter and go through it. But as I work through the covenants, I think there's clear, a clear structure that we can have that will help us to see each part and to not miss any portion. So as we go through, we'll start with first the context. So we'll talk about the expectation up to that point of what's happened in Scripture with the men before this man with whom God made a covenant, what we expect to happen, what promises has God made that were waiting to be fulfilled. We'll talk about the immediate context, so walking through, okay, in the chapters leading up to this covenant, what's happened? So there's there's exciting things that happen as God, in the narrative of, of the Old Testament, he builds up to these wonderful points, like in the covenant with David, exciting things happen. God moves so clearly to bring us to this point and for him to make his covenant with David and for his line after him. After we talk about the context, we'll talk about the covenant itself. So we'll look specifically in the scriptures at, okay, what's the covenant? What are the promises that God has made? What are the warnings that God has given? 
what types of things has God mentioned that make this covenant a little different than previous ones? We'll talk about who's in the covenant and who's out of it. What sign has been given? What promises have been made? What can we expect going forward? And then finally, we will look at the promises that are ahead of us. So we'll look at from the covenant that God has made, what is expected to happen? What's going to happen to this um, covenant head's descendants? What's going to happen to um, generations and generations after? How does that covenant affect us today? But as we prepare ourselves to go forward reading through the covenants, as we go ahead looking at all these different passages, we have to do so with this sense of with fear and with trembling. So every amount of knowledge that we have been given, that we see in the scriptures, we will one day be held accountable for. So our attitude must be very precise, you can say, in this study. We can't go into it saying, oh, I'm going to find out mysteries that have never been found out in all of church history. That would be silly because there's been so many people who have gone before us and said so many wonderful, true, and sure things. We also can't go in with an attitude of just gaining knowledge in our heads. We can't go in and say, okay, I'm going to memorize all these things so I can be smarter than somebody else. That's an obvious temptation for us in studying the Bible is that you can know more than somebody. What I hope that my posture has been in studying this and in presenting this, what I hope that your posture is, is exactly what I mentioned before. It's, it's reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, reading about the long line of godly men who have gone before us, and going to God and saying, what have you revealed about yourself, and how can I live a Christian life? How, how can I live more faithfully to you? What can I know about you that I don't already know? Because we serve an infinite and an eternal God that there is no limit to his knowledge. So as we embark on this study of the covenants going through week by week, really watch your heart, really prepare yourself, open up your Bibles and go through it with me. So let me invite you to join along as we humbly consider the person and work of God through the covenants in the scriptures.